This episode is sponsored by our friends at Best Fiends. You guys know how much I love playing Best Fiends. And I know if you've been playing too, you will absolutely agree. It's the perfect palate cleanser after I've spent the day writing about murder and gives me a much-needed break without any stress. It's my chance to clear my mind and have a little fun while still keeping my brain engaged. This is a fun and casual game filled with puzzles to keep everyone entertained. I'm on level 358 after finally beating 357 and still love my collection of critters and figuring out the best way to play with each of them. One of the best parts of this game is that it doesn't require internet. So, no internet, no problem. My favorite time to play is just before bed. I lay down, turn down the lights, and play a couple of levels to wind down before drifting off to sleep. It's honestly one of my favorite times of the day. The game updates each month with new levels and challenges, so there's always a ton of new stuff to do and you never lose interest. Not just that, but you can connect and play with friends from all over and create fun little challenges of your own. It's the perfect way to have fun with your friends while still social distancing. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Remember, that's friends without the R. Best Fiends. There were two more murders 15 miles when away. Arrived, they found the telephone and electricity lines here described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Morning. Cup of murder. There are some people when growing up that exhibit behaviors that lead people to speculate that they will be a problem later in life. On September 25th, 1952, a man was born who, from an extremely young age, left police and doctors with the feeling that, in the future, he would become a cold-hearted killer. A man who would prove them right when he was just 22 years old. So, if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Patrick David McKay, born September 25, 1952, had his troubling life begin before he even exited the womb when his father, in a drunken stupor, kicked his pregnant wife's stomach. Patrick was born and the abuse continued from there. Despite how horribly his father treated him, when the man died when Patrick was 10, it left him feeling lost and unable to cope. Patrick even believed for some time that his father was still alive. From this point on, Patrick took on his father's role in the home, including his harsh treatment of his mother and sisters. His mother moved them around Kent, hoping he would improve, but the police were called as frequently as four times a week to break up family disputes, and he was removed from the home on at least 18 occasions between the ages of 12 and 22 to be placed in various schools, institutions, and prisons. With each call, police and teachers speculated how long it would take for Patrick to finally take a life. He was prone to tantrums, flew off the handle with his anger, brutalized animals, once setting his own pet tortoise on fire, played with fire, once burning down a Catholic church, bullied those smaller than him, stole from elderly women, and once tried to kill his mother and aunt. He was the total awful package, who by just 15 had been diagnosed as a psychopath by a psychiatrist who predicted he would grow up to be a, quote, cold psychopathic killer. 
He was committed to the Moss Side Hospital in Liverpool, but in 1972, was released back into society and ready to make good on his doctor's predictions. Now an adult, Patrick decided to add Nazism to his list of atrocities. He became obsessed with the idea, filled his London apartment with any memorabilia he could get his hands on, and even made himself a replica of a German uniform, complete with lapel badges and signature armband. He even began going by the bizarre name Franklin Bolvolt I as a way to be, quote, feared and remembered like Hitler's. In 1973, he somehow befriended a priest named Father Anthony Crean, and despite this friendship, Patrick broke into his home, stealing a 30-pound check. He was arrested despite the priest's request not to, and prosecuted. Patrick was ordered to pay compensation, which he never did, and a rift between the friends began. Then, on March 21, 1975, Father Anthony Crean was found dead in his home, his skull hacked at by an axe. Police didn't need to work too hard to come up with a suspect. They all knew about the theft charge, and Patrick was arrested just two days after the murder. According to Patrick, he swung the axe with such force that the priest's brain was left exposed. He reached up and touched it before collapsing, at which point Patrick sat and watched him bleed to death. But it wasn't long before police began to realize that while the death of Father Anthony was brutal, he was far from Patrick's first victim. They began connecting him to at least 11 other murders, making him Kent's most notorious serial killer. There was Heidi Manilk, an au pair whom he threw from a train near New Cross in July of 1973. And in the same month, Mary Hines, who had been beaten to death in her apartment. There was Stephanie Britton and her four-year-old grandson who had been stabbed to death in January of 1974. And a few days later, an unknown vagrant who was tossed from the Hungerford Bridge. A month later, he invaded the home of Isabella Griffith, who he strangled to death before stabbing with her kitchen knife. Shortly after, he was evicted from a friend's home after proclaiming he was possessed by demons and began a string of thefts, home burglaries, purse snatchings, and muggings, chalking up three more homicides in the process. He beat a 62-year-old woman to death with a lead pipe, beat 92-year-old Sarah Rodwell for her $10 Christmas bonus, whacked Ivy Davis with an axe, and in March of 1975, strangled elderly widow Adele Price in her apartment. Eleven days later, he killed Father Anthony. Following his confession, Patrick McKay was charged with five murders, two of which were later dropped due to lack of evidence. In November of 1975, he was, due to dismissed responsibility, only convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to life imprisonment. He is under a whole life tariff and it is extremely unlikely he will ever see life outside of prison. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on September 26th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.